0: I am Allison Cole, and even though I am a licensed psychologist, I am here to only provide general information about psychological and emotional issues, but my guest and I will not be rendering psychological or healthcare advice for any individual or for his or her particular situation. If you are seeking a diagnosis, treatment, or advice regarding medical or mental health issue, please request a referral for a psychologist, psychotherapist, or licensed professional.
1: Hello, welcome back to What It Takes to Heal. My name is Corey Griffiths. I'm a drug and alcohol interventionist with a lifelong interest in all forms of healing. I'm collaborating with Dr. Allison Cole, psychologist and owner of Create Outcomes, to do this podcast and uncover what it really takes to heal. Good morning, Dr. Cole.
0: Good morning, Corey.
1: This series will focus on how to know when you need help to heal and what it takes to find the right therapist. Today's podcast will explore the question, how do I know I need therapy? I would also like to introduce our sponsor, Tomes. Welcome, Toby. How are you?
2: I'm well, Corey. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Excellent. Tell us a little about Tomes. Well, thank you, Corey, and... Uh, Tomes is a natural sleep and sound healing portal that's available on the web. And it uh, it is at www.tomes.com. And I can explain a little bit more about the science later when I provide a sound bath uh, for our audience.
1: Fantastic. Thank you, Toby.
2: My pleasure. Thank you.
1: Today's podcast will explore the question, how do I know I need therapy? My introduction to therapy was in my teenage years through the courts. I was basically forced into therapy. I remember trying to outwit my therapist or I thought it was a joke. I didn't know there was anything to heal in the first place. I had tried therapy several times throughout my life as sort of this gesture of goodwill toward myself That I wanted to heal Uh, but it wasn't until years later that a series of successive failures at living life in a decent way got me to believe that therapy could actually help me it was really hitting rock bottom and then going to the basement and then the Mm sub-basement, before beginning to believe that therapy could help me at all. It was probably 20 years later, through painful cycles of my life repeating, that I realized I was in desperate need of some sort of help. Today, we want to try and help people realize that they are in need of healing, and that it is available sooner than I did. Dr. Cole, considering my history, is there anything that you could recommend or could have recommended for someone in a similar situation or in a general way people could look at their lives and, and gauge if they are in need of therapy or not?
0: I know, Corey, that I've known you for a while now, and it absolutely could have happened earlier that you would have been able to be aware that you needed help if you had access to the right information and that's what I'm really hoping that maybe there's people who are feeling lost as you did or not even knowing that they needed therapy to heal some of the underlying issues that were causing them to repeat really painful patterns like the addiction in your life that you've spoken of and Today, we're going to really give people a way to assess their life to see if it's time to get healing now so they don't have to hit rock bottom, as you said, and as they say in the AA community, that we need to help people see that there is something they can do to get more support before they get to a rock bottom. It reminds me too of the stigma that that's always around needing help. And I would say that that vulnerability and that weakness of actually needing to ask for help can also get in the way. So hopefully today and you sharing your story, I really appreciate that we're able to kind of give people the courage to examine their lives in the way we're going to share today to help them get to what they need sooner so they don't end up at rock bottom places over and over again for years and years.
1: I get calls often to do interventions on people who don't believe that they need help of any sort and sit with them for sometimes hours, sometimes days, sometimes weeks to get people to a point where they can see that another life is possible. And I look at my own life and think 25 years or so, I didn't believe that there was any other life than the cycle after cycle of addiction and recovery that I was experiencing. Is there a way that you assess or that an individual can assess their own life to know they're in need of healing?
0: Yeah, Corey, as an interventionist, I think these three categories I'm about to present on how someone can look at their life and see whether or not it's time to go to therapy or to seek healing could really help. Because someone who is using substances gets to feel better when they're using them, and so these aspects of their life that we're about to discuss might not seem so horrible when you have something to make you feel better. So you have to really work hard to help them see that there's an aspect of their life that is worth putting in the effort and the courage to heal and to do it without substances. So I hope this is helpful for you, but I hope this is also helpful for everyone who's trying to decide if it's time to get healing. So the three categories are relationships, daily living and self-care, and having a look at how we support ourselves financially, and all of the issues and possibilities for problems that come up in those three categories. So really quickly, I'll just briefly say that for relationships, it's looking at, are there patterns? Do you see yourself having the same outcome with different people? Do you feel alone even though you're with others? Does your anxiety, depression, anger push people away? The daily living and self-care will take a look at not only the basics of how you take care of your body and how you feel day to day on the outside, but also the way you speak to yourself, the way you treat yourself in your mind. And then do you engage in behaviors that could really hurt you? And then lastly, we'll go into how we support ourselves financially. This is actually a pretty big one. I see a lot of people come to me just because their job environment's either really toxic or they have a toxic boss. And it's pretty scary when the person who gives us our paycheck is someone who makes life really difficult. So those are the three areas to assess in life to determine whether or not it's time to get healing and we'll dive into each one. But Corey, I'm I'm sure that, you know, with your extensive background in not only seeking healing, but helping others get healing, you've probably seen relationships be one of the biggest issues that you think stand out to people. Is that true?
1: Absolutely. And this reminds me of Wally Wessel asking me what recovery was and me wanting to have the right answer and not having it until he said relationships. Recovery is all about relationships because life is all about relationships. I caused a lot of harm in many of my relationships when I was suffering in addiction and out because I didn't have another way to live. So I have seen the painful pattern in relationships for me occur over and over and over in romantic relationships and with family and with bosses I would say are the three areas that I see my relationships happening over and over again for example I dated the same woman time after time after time she just had a different name I had the same boss over and over and over. They just had a different name. Um, But what this reminds me of most is that I didn't feel that I had any close relationships. I didn't have a best friend. I didn't have a relationship with family members that really felt meaningful. I didn't have a partner that knew everything about me. I felt very alone, like you talked about.
0: That's exactly what I was describing when I was speaking, Corey, is that it's a pattern, usually. It's having a different person but the same outcome and a feeling of loneliness even when people are around you. And I'm glad you mentioned a best friend because I talk a lot about that in my individual therapy with clients, this idea of having someone who you feel 100% safe knowing everything about you. So deepening relationships is also a really important thing to examine. Do you know how to deepen a relationship to show somebody the wholeness of who you are? And unfortunately, because a lot of the ways we relate to each other are unconscious, it's hard to know what part is ours and what part we have control over in regard to deepening relationships, to helping us feel more connected. We have pretty much our caregivers or our parents as our main role models for how relationships are supposed to look. And I'm sure that in the most difficult times of our lives, we have to be able to turn to to people to make sure that we have the support we need. But then if we don't quite have that skill set, we're left feeling extremely alone. And that type of loneliness can lead to all those other symptoms of depression and anxiety that we speak about. Corey, I'm wondering if, if you're willing to share a time when that loneliness for you really is a time you can look back on and say, you know what? I could have really used therapy at that point in my life.
1: Thank you. I felt completely alone probably my third year sober when my daughter was taken from me and I had no one to connect to. I I went to different people, friends, friends to try and get advice or connection, and I was asking all of them in some unconscious way to get my daughter back for me via communication with someone else. I can say that this loneliness affected me so much and the isolation disempowered me to a point where I couldn't function at work. And this was completely sober. My anxiety, my depression got to the point where I really couldn't function. Um, I did, I was lucky at that point in time. I lived with my friend Dave, who got me to take the steps. I was lucky at that point in time. I did have a friend who recommended that I seek a lawyer, and that was the only way that this began to resolve itself. But looking back, there was probably almost an entire year where I was basically unable to function because of this powerlessness that I felt that through therapy, I can see traces back to childhood. But to someone who is experiencing this themselves, it's impossible to see in the moment. Or for me, it was impossible to see in the moment what steps to take in order to get the help that I needed. So I'm very grateful for my friend for showing me the steps that I needed to get my daughter back. But in order for me to actually see what happened, I'm in therapy now, years later, looking at that powerlessness that I felt in the moment.
0: Corey, I know that that's a really vulnerable story for you. And- I also know that bringing up the powerlessness you felt is beyond vulnerable just because, well, one of the reasons being because of how it does trace back to childhood for you. And trauma that we experienced in the past, again, very unconsciously affects us in the present. So even in that horrible situation with your daughter, you still would have felt absolutely scared and miserable and full of fear and thank goodness for dave to come and give you that support but you might not have been paralyzed if you hadn't had the trauma that you did as a child and oftentimes trauma is so confusing no one wants to call whatever happened to them as a kid as trauma and i've found that over the years that people have a hard time often just even using that word. And it's very confusing to kind of own that you've had a traumatic experience that may be impacting you in the present. So that's a very complicated kind of layers of of feelings and triggers that were probably built upon a past. But we're going to have our trauma specialist, Sarah Fries come on in a couple podcasts or a couple episodes from now to go a little bit into a deeper dive on that one. But I will say in terms of this episode of looking into how you know you need help, it's really important to take your story, Corey, so that our listeners can see that when they're in that kind of lonely and paralyzed place, that it's absolutely necessary to get help to move from the state of paralysis. But it doesn't always have to be that serious when we're looking at whether our relationships are in such a state that we need to seek help. Sometimes it can be so debilitating to get ready to go socialize or go out for the evening and feel so scared of being that person who feels like everybody else has this social thing figured out and I'm the one stuck in my head over here. I mean, that's just a miserable experience. And Or if we're in romantic partnerships where we love the person and we know we have a part in why it's not working and the arguments keep happening, the, these are miserable states to live in and they can cause horrible symptoms of anxiety and depression, which it doesn't need to get to that point before you need help. All we need to do is recognize when we're feeling that alone, that it's causing us to be miserable in situations when we should be experiencing joy or or at least some contentment.
1: Healing is what I hear from that, Allie. Um, I didn't think that I could heal something deep within me that I didn't even know what was in order to get to a place that I could experience something like actual joy you know I knew euphoria I didn't know joy Uh, I did begin to heal my own relationships and on one hand wish that I could go back and have stopped the cycles sooner And began to connect with people earlier than I had. But on the other hand, I'm grateful for the experiences that I have had. For they enable me to get people in pain and addiction to people like you that can can help them. But about relationships, um, I do have a question. I mean, everyone has got to have at least one difficult relationship so is it one relationship that we are suffering in or does it have to be many or all in order for one to seek healing
0: well as you might know in your own life and our listeners if you ask yourself one relationship can often take over our whole life depending on how much access they have to us if you have an overbearing parent who's sharing your location and texting every day and making you feel guilty if you don't write back, that alone could drive you nuts and keep you, I mean, even in your sex life. Like, who wants their mom tracking their location and knowing, you know, that they're at somebody's apartment at, <laughs> at, at, at 2 a.m., right? Like, it it almost becomes inappropriate, and it keeps you from even being able to develop or seeing your phone go off while you're you know engaging in romance like it's it's not it's not sexy it's not cool to have your mom following you around as an adult so even though it's not debilitating it could actually be stunting your growth like the your partner who's an adult who you're with might be like why the hell is your mom right. calling you all night like why do you track your location with your mom so it could be just that one relationship but also if someone has access to like an ex-boyfriend or a current boyfriend or girlfriend or partner, they are able to text you throughout the day and call you and set expectations and ask for compromise. And it can get very confusing when you love someone, whether those behaviors have turned into something that's toxic for your life or, or causing you to, to feel sad or anxious. And I would just say a little bit more about the modeling that we grow up with is everything so if you've had the modeling where it's safe to trust and you know what it looks like to be in a relationship with mutual respect which honestly Corey, i don't think many of us have had that modeling we've kind of had to learn it along the way sure. but those who are really lucky and had those amazing parents who just let you be whatever person you were meant to be in this world and didn't tell you that it's not okay to be an artist or, you know, really let you be the person you want to be and honor and respect who you are and what you have to say and, 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 and allow all feelings to feel acceptable. You know, if you have that type of upbringing, this probably wouldn't, you probably wouldn't be listening to this podcast and it, and it probably wouldn't make much sense. But if we haven't had that modeling, there probably is a relationship that we need to to get help, to understand how we can navigate it to live in more peace.
1: You were saying just a second ago about uh, a parent, you know, if your mom is following your location, uh, my mom didn't even track me as a child. So (laughs) as an adult, I don't want anyone looking at my phone, but I see relationships all the time where people are Constantly mistrusting or needing this tracking of each other, but I definitely know what not knowing how to connect after getting sober looks like in dating, and part of that for me, I believe, at this point was self care, um, which was the second point that you brought up. So, I didn't know, for example, what kind of hairstyle i wanted i had to change the type of music that i listened to when i look at my license picture from the state that i got sober in it doesn't look like me (laughs) when people saw it they thought i was a 25 year old of a completely different ethnicity i had to relearn everything and there was a lot of shame that came with that
0: Mm -hmm. i'm really glad you used the word ashamed because we have to talk about shame when we're talking about self-care. So self-care is another area that we're letting people know is important to assess to decide if it's time to seek healing. And shame is the number one reason for that because what happens with shame is it keeps us from even having the motivation and the self-worth to do something about improving our self-care. Like for you, it would be, you know, making sure that you do have new music to listen to that's not going to remind you of your days when you were using and that you do have a haircut that feels like you or clothes that you wear that are good for you and that you do feel good when you go on a date. All of those things sound pretty simple and we could tell people what they should do all the time to take care of themselves. Go on a diet, eat healthy, go for a run. We all know what we should do for our self-care but the deeper question is, why are we not doing what we know would make us feel good about ourselves? And the answer often has to do with shame. And that gets us into self-care in regard to the way we speak to ourselves, our own thoughts about ourselves. Corey, I think this would be a good time if you don't mind to talk about, you know, when you were struggling with not knowing kind of how to be in society, how to do your hair, what music to listen to. What were what were your thoughts about you at that time?
1: There was a definite fear of failure. Or there was some shame around work because I was 36 years old and working in a restaurant, which of course we say there's no shame in, but all of my co-workers in the same position were 20-year-olds at the university and also getting drunk after work. So it was particularly difficult for me to Connect and I would go home to where I lived in a one bedroom place and feel, you know, very alone at that point. So there was definitely some shame that came with the way that I was supporting myself financially and just this fear about what I was going to do in the future because I had no idea. I didn't know how to proceed.
0: I think it's really brave to talk about the way that shame can come into how we make money. And I don't know that that's kind of talked about enough. And it definitely is another area to assess in terms of whether or not you need to seek healing. And that's just because, you know, the obvious that money is our survival. And the amount of hours we work takes up a huge percentage of our waking hours. And I also think, Corey, I just have to say, side note, that it must have took a ton of courage to go to work at a restaurant or in that environment and be sober. I mean, I haven't worked in a restaurant myself, but I have tons of friends who have. And drinking usually is a huge bonding activity for the staff after work. And I just think that it must have taken a lot of courage in itself to be able to show up and be sober when you were so newly sober and feeling alone and ashamed in some ways and also kind of feeling like the job itself wasn't exactly where you wanted to be financially. And I think that really brings us to this third category to assess in terms of whether it's time to seek help. And that is, you know, what is it in our workplace that might be causing us some anxiety or shame or depression and it could be that we just had high expectations that were given to us by society and our family and ourselves and so we're not sure. living up to them or it could be that we truly do have a toxic coworker. worker um, as i said earlier in this episode It's just unbelievable how many clients come to me because they are absolutely miserable at their jobs. And sometimes it's a coworker, sometimes it's a boss, and sometimes it's just that the work is not bringing them enough meaning.
1: What is it about work that would lead someone to therapy? Or what can therapy or a therapist do to help me at my work, no matter what the problem is, right?
0: Yeah, it's it actually does depend on what the problem is for me to answer that, because if you were to bring to me... I'll
1: give you two examples, Okay, and this is from my own life. One is you talked about there being meaning in work. So I'll use the restaurant, for example. The meaning that I got from working there was money. That's it. Everything else was difficult about it. The other aspect was in having meaningful jobs, having bosses that were very difficult to work for, and it didn't seem to matter where I worked, that same boss was there, just in a different body with a different name and just as much of an asshole. So what would you have told me as a therapist in either of those situations?
0: The one regarding meaning, it sounds like you were getting some meaning from just making money, like you said. And that's true for a lot of people, that just the money itself is enough to go home and be able to support themselves. For a lot of people, though, it has to get bigger than that. The meaning has to be something that makes them want to wake up every day to go to work. And so I'm guessing because I know you well enough now, Corey, to know that you have a lot of passion for your job as an interventionist. So I know that that job probably wouldn't have given you enough meaning beyond money over time, right? So sometimes we're fine where we are, and then all of a sudden we need something more. We need what we do for 40, 50, 60 hours a week to give us more contentment and have it be more in alignment with our values and what we want to do while we're here on this planet. Absolutely. And then the piece about a boss, and I I like, I can tell that you're taking some responsibility that it might not just be the boss each time, but you might have something to do with it. Many times a boss represents some authority figure, right? And you and I have joked a lot about being oppositional adolescents, and so when somebody has your paycheck, and you're supposed to just do what they say for the sake of doing what they say, it's very hard for oppositional characters to just accept that as what is. And so it doesn't take long before that oppositional behavior comes out. And then the boss doesn't want to have much to do with you. But for a lot of people who aren't oppositional, and they are actually still really struggling with their boss, it might, Help to come to therapy. What I do with a lot of clients who are struggling that way is help them find the courage to even be able to seek something new out or create a plan, because it feels like the anxiety that comes with feeling like you might not have a job to make a money to, to make money to support you and your family is absolutely terrifying, and that that can paralyze you and make you feel like it's hard to even think about how you might you know, come out from under your boss or get another job where you might have more meaning. And actually, we do at our practice something called a life map, which is basically like a big treatment plan. And in that, we have a professional destination where we really ask the client lots of different questions to try to kind of dream big and just get a sense of what their values might even be when it comes to how they want to spend their time bringing home a paycheck.
1: That's interesting because I have seen many jobs as stepping stones. And that was kind of the only way that I could get by some bosses who truly were a terror to work for. Most of the time, in honesty, it was me But I have had some bosses that were sick that used the power of that paycheck to, to hold over me, you know, that made it really difficult to work for.
0: Well, I think we've covered so much, Corey, your personal experience about the bosses you've worked for and the different situations that you've been in, both in getting sober and discovering ways that you could take better care of yourself and ways that you were not able to and then also the examples you've given us about the relationships that have caused you to feel paralyzed probably because of some of the trauma from your own past i think is really good examples for our listeners to go back to their own lives really examine their own relationships their own self-care the thoughts that they're having about themselves and also what it's like to wake up and go to work every single day to get that paycheck and then ask themselves is it time for me to seek healing
1: thank you so much for joining me today dr cole i got from this that it's not necessarily about the anxiety and depression surrounding these three areas but what lies underneath it
0: yes exactly
1: I'm glad that we talked about healing relationships, Dr. Cole, because I had a relationship that I had to heal, and here to introduce our sponsor, Tom's, is my handsome older brother, Toby
2: Wright. Oh, thank you, Corey. And uh, yes, we did heal that relationship, didn't we? We did. I like it. I like it. Took some, it took to both of us, I think, just being men and being humans and the love that we have for one another to Aww. actually do that. Exactly. Right? Really Thanks. sweet. But, um, well, that's the truth, you know. Just it takes that love. But thank you very much, both of you, Corey, Dr. Cole. Um, and as I said earlier, we're going to experience uh, a little sound bath from Tomes. But first, about a little about what Tomes is. It's a natural sleep and sound healing portal available on the web at www.tomes.com. And it's a new technology um, that I'm very, very proud and I'm the creator and founder of. Um, It's comprised of tonalities that have some components of healing and some components of emotion. Today's sound bath is called Tiamo, which means love in Italian. I developed this to help everyone who has a bit of stress and strife in their life. It's designed to invoke happiness, love, and feelings of togetherness along with well-being. Let's enjoy a brief sound bath of Tiamo from Tomes.
1: Thank you, Toby. Thank you, Dr. Cole. Thank you to all of our listeners. And contact us with questions at info at createoutcomes.com. That's info at createoutcomes with an S dot com. Don't forget to join us for our next episode. How do I know what therapist is right for me?